0: Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. I have just watched the Fast 9 trailer, and I'm revved the fuck up, baby.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Luke, and I have also watched the Fast 9 tra- trailer, and I'm, I'm maybe slightly less revved up, but still pretty revved up. Are you revved? I'm definitely revved. Okay. I'm at like, I don't know, seven or 8,000 RPM. It sounds like you're about 9,000.
0: Yeah, dude, I just hit the nitrous button. Let's get into it.
1: That doesn't help your revs. It doesn't? Well, I mean, I think in the movie, it, in real life, it does. In the movie, it doesn't.
0: Oh, okay. Welcome to the Content Minds. This week's show is a topic that we've somehow avoided talking about for 48 episodes about internet content. We're going to be talking about The brainy come time. <laughs> We're going to be talking about how to boil a figurine of Rainbow Dash. Before we get started, <laughs> before we talk about the actual topic this week, which is ads and ad tech, Luke, how's the internet this week?
1: Um, I mean, my internet has been quite different, I think uh my internet has been scatterbrained i think is the best way to do it it's been all over the place
0: yeah i would say that's true for ours as well,
1: well i think it's mainly for ours because the pubs are now open and this obviously isn't working in audio medium but i was doing really heavy air quotes. okay I was,
0: gonna, I was gonna bring that up that you did air quotes on a podcast yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so what do you mean by quote unquote open
1: okay well to me, okay, so if you if we were still living together and it was the UK and we recorded this podcast and then we finished and was like, hey, let's go to the pub, mm. we couldn't. Why? Because the pubs aren't open.
0: But people are at them.
1: Yes, but you have to book the pub in advance. Oh, so your and issue... They, and can only sit outside, which is realistically, like, at best in most pubs, 30% of the capacity, maybe. So
0: your issue is that you can't randomly, like, rock up to a pub.
1: Right. Right. If, exactly. If we were sitting next to each other right now, we could not go to the pub. So to me, the pubs the pubs aren't open.
0: No, what you're saying is that you you refuse to book a reservation. That's what you're saying.
1: No, I'm not. I'm saying the pubs aren't open. Like the, the point of a pub being open is when it is always open. If it is only open if you pre plan it, it's not really functionally open.
0: Right. No. That, that's. I just want to make it really clear for our American listeners that your issue is that you couldn't just turn to me and be like, pub, and then we would go to the pub.
1: Yes, so in, 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 like in fact I don't think I've ever booked a table at a pub, I don't, I don't intend to start now. Okay,
0: okay. So when will you be able to finally just go pub and then go to the pub?
1: I mean, I'm guessing that it will probably take a couple of weeks to calm down. Uh, May uh, May 17th, I think, uh, is the next stage of opening, and then June 21st is everything is open. Well, that's very so exciting. we're not we're not we're not long away, but yeah, it just it you know the whole concept of a pub is the point that. It is a public house that you can go to at essentially any time, right? And if you can't do that, it is you're you're essentially buying a pub experience. You're buying like a, uh, a custom pub experience. You're it, not actually going to the pub, and the two things are different.
0: It's like going to like a Disney World, like a British themed Disney World.
1: It's like going to an Irish pub in New York.
0: Well, some of them are very old, although many of them did. Uh, define, although many again, of them did define not define old. You know, like. I think there's a few that are 100 years old. That's not all. My know, house is 100 years old. Well, I, I'm from a I'm from a 400 year old part of the
1: country, so I you know. That's true. That's true.
0: My, my, I think my sister's house is 400 years
1: old, which is pretty people cool. living on this spot in my area for like 2,000 years. Okay. So, you know, all right. Congratulations. All right,
0: look, okay. Fine. Fine. The
1: point is, for 2,000 years, people have been going to the pub when they want, <laughs> with no restrictions, no requirement to you, to go to some website beforehand and pay a £20 deposit in order to get a, a two-hour slot, which also is the other thing. If you went and you had a drink and then you had another drink and you're like, hmm, we'll save for some more drinks. Nope, sorry, someone's got the slot after you. You're done now. You've got to go.
0: I want to point out that you are veering dangerously close to sounding like a fringed Brexit candidate. Like, this is this is what, like, Lord Buckethead said to himself right before he put on the bucket.
1: Okay, Lord Buckethead was not a Brexit candidate. Lord <laughs> Buckethead was in favour of the bucket. <laughs> I just remember what Lord Buckethead was was in favor of, but he is standing again. He is standing again in an election. He is standing in the election for the for well for, for the, the mayor of London.
0: You you know what we should like work towards with this show, getting to a level where we can do a guest episode where my role is played by Vermin Supreme and your role is played by Lord Buckethead. I'm into it. Yeah, I Lord think Buckethead be really
1: cool. Lord Buckethead had, had many good policies. Like what? uh he wanted to stop arms sales to saudi arabia
0: oh, I, okay that's pretty cool i'm in
1: uh he he wanted to uh abolish the house of lords oh. uh reduce the voting age to 16 uh free bicycles for everyone
0: huh i uh i guess i should probably explain lord buckethead is a fringe political <laughs> candidate in the uk who puts a bucket on his head and a cape i think he wears a cape right oh yeah there's a cape involved it's like a it's like a darth vader costume kind of but it's a bucket
1: various iterations of the character have been standing elections since 1987 is it always the same person or no Oh that's very controversial. Is
0: it like a uh, is it <laughs> is there's
1: an extended copyright dispute about who owns the the bucket head. Uh so so he he's gone from being uh sorry from Lord Buckethead so there's now a a, a, a splinter candidate called Count Binface. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. And he is and Count Binface is standing in uh, uh the London Mayor election. And his policies include uh finishing crossrail, uh free parking for electric vehicles, uh and uh renaming London Bridge to Phoebe Waller. Uh,
0: uh yeah, he should win. I think he should win. That's fantastic. That's amazing.
1: And if he raises enough money, he's if he raises more than uh ten thousand pounds, uh Sorry, if he he needs five thousand pounds to stand as candidate. If he raises more than that, the rest of it goes to the homeless charity shelter.
0: I, I'm I think Lord Lord Bin. wait, what binface? Count Binface. Count Binface, he's got my vote for Mayor of
1: London. In twenty nineteen he um he he stood against Lord Buckethead.
0: Oh, a showdown of the uh refuse based uh candidates. Yes. Hmm. And Elmo. Oh. All right, look, we've we're we're hitting the seven minute mark. I got to move on. I have an announcement. Okay, I've joined a co op of some kind. <laughs> is a co op? Is I've, that we're going with a co op? I've been using the term co op. So, garbage day readers uh, will know this, but uh, I've been working on a secret project with a couple other newsletter writers. It's called Side Channel. It is a group Discord. We're launching with eight people. They're all fabulous. It includes people like the uh, former New York Times columnist, Charlie Warzel, Casey Newton, who writes Platformer, Delia Sai, who writes these links, like all just like very good people. And the way it's going to work is you subscribe to one of us, you get into the Discord, and then we're going to use the Discord regularly to have live events and interview people and do fun stuff. I... I have a kind of like excitement about it that I feel like I haven't felt in a long time where I'm like, I don't know where this is going or what will happen, but I'm very excited to see what happens. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty cool. And also, I guess because of the way I've done it, if you subscribe to us on Patreon and you're in the Garbage Day Discord, you will also get access to side channel. So, um, yeah, it's pretty so, cool. So we,
1: we, have, we have two Discords, is what you're saying.
0: I like to think of it like we're building out our own Internet. And this is now a new part of that internet you know? okay. I, mean, um, I
1: can't keep up with the existing discord so this is yeah
0: dude yeah the I mean the current the current state of the garbage of discord it's it's a lot of content, like, and I am so grateful, and I feel very lucky that people are using it to do that, but, like, it's a lot of stuff.
1: If you at me in that Discord, I will try and answer, but not always, because often you guys at me at, like, 2 a.m., uh, and I am obviously asleep, and then it's six hours later, the conversation's moved on, and there's no point in me getting involved.
0: I like to beckon you, but I, I do I do like your commitment to just only responding when called. I think that's a very, like, yeah.
1: useful strategy. <laughs> you guys are all good call me at, like, 3 in the morning.
0: Yeah, well, you know, time zones are complicated, <laughs> Um, so I put a link in the show notes and I forgot what it was and then I just opened it and I now remember why I wanted to show this to you. So have you seen this Twitter thread from human not bees who wrote, I, a British person will now list all 50 States of the USA
1: and what I believe they're famous for without Googling. Okay. So I did this thread, uh, in the, over the night on the 2016 election and then it got, it stopped being fun for obvious reasons.
0: Oh, yeah, I could see I why like, that would be a bad night to do that.
1: Yeah, I got like I got like you know 2 hours through and I was like nope, not fun anymore. Um uh but yeah, it's a good thread.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good thread. Um let's see what do we got? What what are some standouts here? To my best to the best of my knowledge, Massachusetts is famous for Matt Damon movies. I mean, weird he didn't go with Ben Affleck, but like whatever. Sure. Um to the best of my knowledge, Nebraska is famous for being flat, which guys, come on, that's not an achievement.
1: Missouri is a good one. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Missouri is famous for having a place called Kansas City.
0: That's true. It's very confusing. To the best of my knowledge, New Hampshire is famous for being nothing like actual Hampshire.
1: That's tr- that's very true.
0: Yeah, that is very true. Oh, to the best of my knowledge, Washington is famous for not being Washington, D.C., which is elsewhere and not a state, but also not a town. I think Washington, this one, is where Fraser lives.
1: That's, uh, yeah, that's right, isn't
0: it? Yeah, Fraser, I It yeah, is. Yeah, Seattle, yeah. Seattle's in Washington, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I was thinking, I, I was briefly confused. With Portland, which is obviously Oregon. I I am upset that that is a common occurrence for myself as well. <laughs>
1: um, I, I I want to talk to you about the worst meme. Uh, I think it's the the meme that I've hated most. The worst but, meme. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. Um. Well, the thing is, I, it's really hard for me to actually find now because it is a wordless meme. But the the the, the meme is the one where there is a New York Times article that says something like, after the pandemic, you'll be a new person.
0: I did this meme. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I I I think this is the first meme maybe ever that I've found that has just never been funny. Like, no iteration of it has been good. Let me hang on. Let me look at yours. Let's see if yours is good.
0: Here, I'll drop it in the chat. Here's mine. I thought mine was pretty good, but I don't think you're going to get it.
1: Is it anime? Yeah, of course it's anime. Yeah, it's anime. Right. It's just kind of... it's It's... It, I, I don't. I, it's, it's really hard to describe why it's bad, but I think this is your one is actually a really good example. So I'm just going to go hard in on it. It is basically people who have subsumed because we've been in a pandemic for a while. People, the identity that people now identify with is just the thing that they like. So it's just people putting a photo of a thing that they like next to it. And in some cases, there is like a bit more to it in that it's like Nick Cage from Face Off, and it's like yes, technically he did change who he was, but the rest of the time it's just. A person that they like and oh like, wait that's just,
0: what you interpreted that to be i interpreted it totally no, no, different
1: no, well you interpret what you, how did you
0: interpret it? okay so for people who have not seen my twitter account well congratulations it's not a good twitter account don't follow me i screenshot the article which is you can be a different person after the pandemic and it was written by olga kazan and i screenshot that and then i included the scene in which Uh, At the end of the end of Evangelion movie where Shinji Ikari tries to strangle Asuka to death after he's caused the end of the world. And so the joke is that, like, that's who you would be after the pandemic, a deeply traumatized, like, maniac who has caused the apocalypse with your giant robot.
1: Right. But that's not really how most people have used it. I thought that was the
0: joke, is that, like, you're going to be a worse person after the pandemic.
1: No, so that's not how I've seen it at all. So so to go through some of the most popular ones, uh, someone's done uh, Spider-Man from Justice League without the mustache. Spider-Man uh, from Justice
0: League? What are you talking? Superman.
1: S- Superman from Justice League without the mustache. <laughs> Jesus. Um, someone's just done Nick Cage. Uh, someone's done a, a, a corncob because once you transform into a corncob. Oh, that's pretty. Someone's funny. done the guy who had the ring in Lord of the Rings, but then didn't throw it into the pit. The human who wasn't like Bilbo or, or or the rest of them. Uh, someone's done
0: Aragon. Is that Aragon?
1: No, 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 no. Like, like the 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 prequel bit of the movie where it's from like a thousand years prior. To oh, okay. It. And it's just like, yeah, there's there's a good joke about like the the. <sighs> Uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, Gregor, from uh, The Metamorphosis, who turns into the bug. Yeah,
0: that's the one I saw, which I thought was pretty funny, because it's like, you can be a different person after the pandemic, you can wake up as a giant
1: beetle. Like, that's pretty funny. Right, but super, like, it super quickly became just, like, people posting a thing that they liked next to it. And I'm like, it's this thing where it's kind of, there's not not a clear enough meaning or joke to it. So as a result, it's just a series of people saying, I recognize this person. It's like, it's like the bad family guy jokes where they just went like, remember this person? And you're like, I guess. Oh, that was the joke? Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, okay, that's true. I do think it speaks to like a larger, like meme fatigue that's happening at the moment where people are sort of, I think the Suez Canal may have been like too much. And so we're all sort of like, (laughs) you know, like, we're recovering
1: at the moment. Suez Canal, we've got like a lot of good memes. So now we need to like balance out the force.
0: Yeah, it's like we've overextended. It was too much. It was too much internet culture at once, and now we're sort of tired.
1: Well, I mean, maybe the rest was, was, was Prince
0: Philip, which... Prince Philip, though, suffers from the same thing that Harambe suffered from, which is that people just really aren't totally comfortable completely dunking on a person who or a monkey who died.
1: Okay, I mean, we need to talk... Wait, which one's the monkey? <laughs> we need We need to talk about... What National Rail did after the death of Prince Philip, though? We have to talk
0: about it because it's which is one of my favorite crazy, things. Crazy, Luke. It's so okay. <laughs> Please tell our listeners what happened because it's crazy.
1: So, um, Prince Philip, the 99-year-old consort of the Queen, died. You may have heard about it. I, I don't know. It's been around the place. Um, if you missed it, congratulations. Uh, it's the sort of thing that you know is sad, but also he's 99 years old. It's been coming for a while. Like, we have... I work in the newsroom. We have done the drill for Prince Philip a few times. We did it, like, a month ago when he was in hospital. Um, so, you know, it happens. It's... It, it, fine. Uh, a lot of people make jokes. All this sort of stuff goes on. But there's a weird thing in the UK where everyone's trying to, like, figure out the correct amount of respect to show. And it is very much the um, the drill tweet of turning the dial of racism to the... Looking at the audience and turning the racism dial backwards and forwards, trying to, like get the reaction except it's respect uh, and ironically also racism also you know, racism oh, yeah he yeah, was yeah. not
0: he was not exactly the wokest you know
1: they're trying, to fi- they're trying to find the line between racism and banter and respect and apathy it's they're a
0: four-dimensional find... dial
1: yeah. yeah there's two well there's two dials i think okay. maybe it's maybe it's four dimensions it's like a grid yeah 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 it's a two-dimensional grid <laughs> <laughs> it's the political alignment it's a political alignment job. yeah it's respect a... apathy uh racism banter (laughs) (laughs) anyway um one company that attempted to find a way to show respect to prince philip as there was a kind of there was briefly a little bit of an arms race going on of like how much respect people could show uh the bbc won by cancelling every other tv show on every channel for like two days to the extent that so dumb at one point they cancelled a Women's football match that was going to be shown on BBC Four, uh, and instead, like, had a message on BBC Four that just said, "Go to BBC One for the news about Prince Philip dying." Oh my god! And then, but they still showed the foot- women's football match just on online, so you could still go and watch it on the BBC iPlayer online, but you couldn't, you couldn't see it on the TV channel because sitting on the TV channel would have been disrespectful.
0: But ignoring that and going online and watching the
1: football. Is not, not disrespectful. disrespectful okay. Not disrespectful. Okay. Anyway, National Rail, a uh, company that no longer needs to exist because the franchises have gone and everyone just uses Trainline instead, which has, is a better version of the same thing, decided that the best way to show respect was to put their entire website into grayscale. And I'm still just imagining the meeting where someone had that and suggested, like, what if we made the website grayscale? And should, Yeah, sure. Because it's like, it's a two-second job. It's like one line of CSS code and...
0: I saw a tweet that was like, this is what Prince Philip would have wanted.
1: (laughs) Your train website to go gray for my death. (laughs) The thing is, we do also have, we have local train websites, and they all did a similar thing, where they all put, like, some of them did grayscale that you could opt out of, some of them did, like, an enormous photo of Prince Philip at the top of it.
0: American question here. Was Prince Philip, like, the patron royal of trains or anything? Like, was he associated with trains? no
1: <laughs> as far as i can tell there's no particular link other than he was he rode on them sometimes although he didn't also actually come to he didn't because he rode on the queen's train because the queen had her own train
0: right i remember a story i heard once where they were terrified when they first invented trains that going 40 miles an hour would kill the queen and so they did test rides and
1: prince prince philip at that time was in his 60s so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um but yeah, they did test rides with commoners to make sure that going 40 miles an hour in a train wouldn't liquefy
1: the Queen. Well, yes, but this is Queen Victoria. And she was... Was she Philip's mom? Like, how does the... Uh, she was both Philip and Queen Elizabeth's great-grandmother.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I had some confused readers about that this week. I also didn't do... Uh, I wrote it really dumb, and I made it like more confusing than I needed to, and I apologize to many of my readers about this. <laughs> but... Um, a lot of, like, teenagers on the internet discovered that Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip were cousins this week.
1: You know, I said this, It was not, it's not great-grandmother, it's great-great-grandmother.
0: Oh, man, so. I hate royal stuff so much. It's so confusing, and it just, like...
1: Well, yeah, well, the, the Lana Del Rey cancellation was strange.
0: I think it's... I think there's a bunch of people who are just like, please don't royal post on Maine. But then I think there are a lot of other people who are like, wait a minute their cousins and maybe didn't know they were married
1: well they're like second or third cousins like, yeah they're, and they're an acceptable like they're relatively distant
0: yeah an acceptable amount of cousinness
1: you know but it was there was something that was you know it was it was really really online that it was kind of like a no no no, no they are unacceptable and everyone seemed to think that it was much more unacceptable that she was mourning them for being uh being married to his second or third cousin i i'm not not going to start on how that works no one knows it's, it's a myth that there's any logic to it um the racism was fine it was the cousin marrying that was the problem it's like this is weird it's very weird i mean the thing that i found the most shocking about prince philip's death
0: was the quote that resurfaced about him wanting to come back as a plague and thin out the human population <laughs> which is a real quote i will link to it in our no. show notes on patreon um you could
1: finally die he die happy it's uh Good for him. Good for him.
0: Speaking of wiping out the human race and setting back all progress in society, let's talk about how ads work online. (laughs) Okay. So this week, we are talking about how ads work. We're talking about online ad tech. It's kind of like the thing that is both the most boring and annoying, but also most important, I think, about the internet. And the reason we're talking about it this week is because of a new program that Google Chrome is test driving. It's called Flock, and that stands for the Federated Learning of Cohorts. And as I understand it, what this test does is it takes anonymized Google Chrome users, does not let them opt in or opt out, but just picks them at random, does not tell you if it's doing it to you, groups you into clusters uh, with other similar users, and then they will be using these clusters as a way to sell browsing information to third parties. The idea is that it would eventually replace cookies. Yeah. This is a creepy, bad thing, I think. Or at least it's a creepy thing. I I don't know how bad it is, but it's creepy. And I feel like it it is worth talking about the confusing world of ad tech. And I think I have the perfect co-host for that because, Luke, you had a, a previous life working in the online advertising and marketing industry.
1: Yeah, I did. So I have quite weird takes on this. And I think targeted advertising is really, really bad, but I don't think it's because of the reasons that people think it's bad. Like, I don't think the privacy thing is necessarily bad. And I think seeing more relevant ads is generally going to improve your web browsing experience, I think. I love to improve my web browsing experience. That's one of my favorite things to do. The thing is, is, like, most ads are trash. Like, you would never want to click them, and they distract you from what you're doing because they are so unrelated to what you do. If you go onto, like, a, an incognito browser and start looking through stuff, you're like, wow, okay, all of this is bad, and I hate it. Um, but... You know, ads that are targeted at you in, in every ad is targeted at you somehow. Right. Sometimes it's badly, but every ad is targeted. Like, if you buy a magazine about cars, you're going to see a lot of ads for A, people who like cars, B, men 18 to 35, and uh, C, uh, people with high net worths. Like, you, those are probably three groups you're going to get indexed pretty well on that. Those are the sort of people who are interested in reading about cars. Right. Um, Typically, you know, it, the, a lot of this stuff is based on kind of unpleasant stereotypes that, for through selection or uh, mechanisms, appeal to those people anyway. Like, the, to put, use that example, car magazines are, are written for men, therefore men read them because they are... Deliberately alienating to women, um, or, or, or accidentally alienating to women. So, what that means is you're being targeted like that. The same goes for outdoor advertising. They're advertising in your city because they think that a lot of people who drive past there are likely to be people who are going to do that product. There's a lot of missed like targeting. They get it wrong a lot. And right. that's, fi- that's fine. That's part of the deal. The reason why this has then upset the balance of the internet is that the internet's figured out they can advertise to people much better than that.
0: Basically. How has the internet changed this though? Like how, how has the internet like changed the way we think about ad targeting? Cause it, it must be like exposing all of the things that you just said are maybe not exactly as true as we thought, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the way that it's coming at it is it is now targeting people on a user basis rather than a placement basis. So if you run a car website, you can't go to BMW and say, I would like lots of money to run ads on my website so that only people who like cars see them. Because BMW can say, yeah, that's true. We do think that. However, what we can do is we can go to Google, we can go to Facebook, we can go to a bunch of other people and say, these group of people are interested in cars. What's the cheapest place we can advertise to them? And that place is not going to be on your nice car website where you're paying lots of money to make your editorial. It's going to be on Well, probably Facebook actually is is going to be one of them, but also is going to be a list of, you know, no hope websites, no name websites you've never heard of. But there, they can say, we know you're interested in cars. We're only targeting you. So we're going to pay a lot less for that ad and we're going to target you across the internet rather than in the place that we know you are. Right. Because it's easier. Yeah, exactly. And it means that you, it's, it's easier and it's cheaper. It's the big one. You say, okay. I think 80% of the people on your car website are interested in cars. Uh, that's a good number, so you normally you should advertise in it. But they got work. okay, but I can get tr- talk to only those 80%, and I can talk to them everywhere, not on your expensive car website. So you're no longer competing for your ad impressions against uh, Car Website 2 and Car Website 3 and TV show about cars where someone wants to put ads in it when, when a car manufacturer is looking to see where they're going to put their car ads. You're competing against... Um, match.com and facebook and all these places that have really cheap ad inventory because they can follow you anywhere right and that's where it becomes it becomes a thing which means that yeah it does it makes no sense to have more high quality content because it just so long as the users come at some point fine that's all you need
0: this is this is interesting to me because i feel like we talk a lot about the eras of the internet on this show and the eras of content and one of the ones that one of the things that seems to define those areas the best is online ads and how they work yeah. and the and the philosophy behind them and i i think the age of just like blasting a feed with ads and like and using ad targeting to do that has absolutely across the board made content worse because there's as you said there's no need for it to be good like who cares, right? As long as the content you're making vaguely fits the demos that it's reaching, and you put ads against it, who gives
1: a shit? Yeah, but it doesn't even need that because if you can, if you can spend a hundred quid on making content that attracts a hundred thousand people, or a hundred quid on making content that attracts a million people, a million people's better every single time, right? Because it doesn't matter the users you're getting, you'll be able to sell something against them.
0: It's. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's it's like a game of percentages, right? It's like why would if you can cheaply blast it to a million people, why would you try to like customize your experience for five hundred thousand? Yeah, exactly. So I guess what I'm what what I've been trying to figure out over the last couple weeks, and I'd be kind of I've kind of become obsessed with this question, which is how do you make money on the internet independently? Without becoming an influencer or essentially becoming an, a content Uber driver, and obviously I have selfish reasons for wondering this because I'm trying to answer that question myself. And so, so
1: describe what you mean by content Uber driver.
0: So. Uh, so this is this is an idea that I've been having, and and it's making me really uncomfortable because I have an incredible ability to self sabotage myself. Um, so. The idea, this idea I've been having of a content Uber driver is that Uber gives you an app that you put on your phone, and then they lease you a car, and then you spend all of your time making money to basically, um, to pay off that service to them, right? Like you might you might come away with more money at the end, but you're not coming away with much. You know, you've seen those like really heartbreaking TikTok videos of like an Uber driver or an Uber Eats guy who's like, I made a I made a dollar fifty on this order, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And those sort of services are becoming more popular. And one of my bigger fears with working with you know companies like Patreon or Substack is that what they're doing is they're taking that model and they're applying it to creators. So, you know, Substack, I, I know the, the, the fees better than anywhere else. They take 10% off the top of whatever you make and then Stripe takes a bunch off the top and then they take and even more off that. So you end up with, you make
1: about 83, 84%. Right?
0: Yeah. Give or take. Cause it's, it's Substack takes 10 and then Stripe, which is the payment software. It takes three. And then they take like 30 cents off of the dollar on top of that or something. Like there's a weird thing they do for transaction fees. And all this is to say that like these, these apps that are appearing that are, that are promising the ability for anyone to make money and monetize what I'm scared about is a future where instead of giving creators and publishers more options to replace bad advertising, they actually just like lock you into like a weird pyramid scheme. Um, and yeah, what's interesting is that like ads right now, I think you 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 talk to anybody in the media adjacent industries or just industries that require advertising, and they'll tell you that it, they're broken. And like for a long time, you used to tell me that like everything in the ad world is just based on stuff that isn't real and everyone just pretends like it's real give more or less right
1: yeah i mean there's a really good there's a really good piece written a couple of years ago by one of the ex dead spinners Gorka writers uh, all the numbers are fake i think it was um i remember this piece yeah i can't remember who it was but they wrote it on like it was on the new yorker or something like that and and it was a really good piece about how it's not that the numbers that are necessarily they went a little bit further than i probably would have gone with it in that the numbers aren't fake they're just not it's just very hard to ascertain what works. Like, it, it, Online advertising is given people the belief that they can understand what works for advertising. And there's a very famous quote from the 1940s, 1950s, the Mad Men era, where someone said, like, I know half my ad spend is, is wasted. I just don't know which half. Right. Now, online advertising gives you the illusion that you do know, but you actually probably don't. Like, there are bits of advertising that do work, Like, and you can do complicated things where you kind of, do attribution modeling so you get a sale and you know that they came through a brand search uh through google you know but that's probably not what they first heard of your product they they first heard of it because they saw like 10 ads one of which they clicked on a week ago another one they clicked on two days ago and then they searched your brand and then they got there. And you're like okay so everything in this chain has a little bit of responsibility for like finding this person
0: right because at a certain point you're just trying to like you're, you're trying to like analyze like how human culture works like who's to say that like your your away suitcase was advertised correctly on instagram or was it that that instagram ad was just like the fifth thing in a row that that person saw advertising the away suitcase and we're like all right i'll buy it fine leave me alone
1: yeah exactly and this is what's known as a halo effect so this is oh this is quantified this is the thing that people talk about as a what's a halo effect so <laughs> Basically, advertising is split into two versions. There is brand advertising and there is direct response advertising. There's other bits and pieces in there, but that's the broad way that many brands think about it. So what they do is they spend £200,000 on uh, clear ads that say, call this number, get free X, put this code in to get your free 12 99 off. And then they've got brand advertising and they spend £300,000 on that, which is uh, soft focus shots of the product and like glamorous things. And they put some of those in... Uh, X Factor on a Saturday night because that's the brand stuff where you're trying to get the awareness out there. Uh, And then the people who they think are going to buy, then they target very hard with your direct response advertising where you're actually trying to get them to get able to respond to it. And you kind of, many companies run both of those. Some companies only run one or the other, like a car company probably doesn't do a huge amount of DR advertising. It does brand advertising. It's like, because they want to make your car appear sexy or whatever. I want to fuck
0: that car. Yeah,
1: exactly. But your direct response advertising is likely to be your local dealer right down the road doing his like we have great deals all that stuff so
0: incidentally uh my sister that's like that's her main focus as a digital marketer she works with uh like local car dealerships right and facebook is one of the best places for it um but she she was giving me a spiel the other night that was way more involved than you would think and and it was just to get people to buy uh like used cars um and that entire it's like basically Anything you see that has ad content on it requires like agencies to fill that space, even if it's like a television in an airport or something, right? Um, and it's I don't know, I, I come away with it feeling like very weird because it's like it makes sense. It's like if there's space, put ads, but I have to yeah. one, I, I want to circle back to this thing that you, you brought up because I think it's there's a really interesting corollary there with our own experience in the content minds, the actual content minds we worked in. <laughs> where with online advertising there. There's this incredible thing that happened where we put ads online. We were able to use things like cookies and pixels to understand where people were seeing these ads, build ad targeting algorithms that can do this really well. And then we could like look back and be like, this is it. We figured it out. We figured out what works in advertising. Yeah. Except it doesn't. Cause it's like, it's just what works in those systems and you have to get, you know, it's like it's like this false positive, And it's the exact same thing that has happened with all kinds of different content where you have like the Facebook video era. And I remember you and I sitting in conference rooms with people being like the future of media are basically auto playing slideshows that have no sound or <laughs> the future of media are lists or the future of media are quizzes or the future of media are very problematic personal essays that you'll feel very embarrassed about in approximately six months for writing or
1: Was the Exo Jane era?
0: Yeah, exactly. Or the future of media are newsletters. Like there's this feeling where, like, every time the internet produces something that makes sense and works, everyone assumes that because it's reaching a certain amount of scale at that particular moment, it has to be the. It has to be it. It has to work. But what I think is interesting about media, as opposed to advertising, is that media. Eventually goes like, well, we've laid everybody off who was doing that thing, and I think we've decided that that's not a sustainable business. Whereas advertising is just like, no, it's like uh, the Virgin Chad meme, where it's like, where it's like the, <laughs> the the bearded Chad meme, where it's like, yeah, are you, are you telling? Oh, wait, I'll me do this. So the meme would be like, are you telling me that everything that works on the internet isn't totally right simply because it's popular? And then the advertising beard meme is just like. Yes, you know, or like, who cares? Because uh, they don't change. It, it stayed the same. They still think that like all of these ad- online advertising things work just because the metrics seem like they're working.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a fascinating uh, story that happened this. And I, it's one of these things where I'm, I, I just tried to have a hunt for it and I now can't find it. But it's very hard to know how effective advertising is. So some years ago, eBay decided that they were going to try and figure out like how effective their advertising was. And what they did was for a third of the country, they turned the ads off, all of the ads. Huh. A, th- a third of America, they turned all the ads off. And sales did not change. And so they carried it on and they turned it off for more and sales did not change. For eBay? And, for eBay. Is that why there's
0: and, really no a- advertising for eBay anymore? I guess so. But they went through this and they were like... uh. This yeah. is so fascinating. This is so fascinating. Oh, my God. This is actually answering a question I've had for, like, almost two years now. So I have a shirt. I love this shirt. It's, like, an Aztec print blue and red shirt. I am I wear it a lot. And, like, a year and a half ago, probably, I got a hole in it, like, right on the sleeve. And I was like, oh, man. So I looked up the brand. And no one sells it anymore. They, the brand doesn't exist. And then I found yeah. it on eBay for, like, 20 bucks, Like, the exact shirt. And I bought it, and it was incredibly easy to use. I got a nice thank you note from the person. I had it in like a day or two. It was no problem, and I was like, "Wow, eBay is really great." Where has this brand been? And I, I have spent <laughs> months being like, "Why is no one talking about eBay?" And I think you've just answered the question, which is that they just don't advertise anymore.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's not impossible. They this was kind of what they what they figured out. Um, <sighs> Yeah, there was... I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skimming some of, the, some of the, the, the the articles about this. Okay, yeah. So eBay is a specific company that has a benefit that they, that they can do this in that their brand is very powerful. It is a place where people go for a certain type of thing and they don't really need to kind of out-compete anyone. Uh, and they were discovering, basically, they were spending an awful lot of money trying to drive people to a site when they would have ended up there anyway. Makes sense. Now, that's probably... That's probably not true of all advertising, and it's certainly not true of all online advertising. Like you've seen that, and you know, if you're a new company, at some point you're going to need to get your name out there. You can you can do PR, you can do advertising, but it's probably going to be some mix of the two and, and a few other things things beside. But I think that yeah, the whole thing is quite interesting, and it makes it really fascinating to kind of watch the newer forms of advertising online, particularly like, uh, well, wow, what's a good one? Uh, influencer marketing, actually. Uh, because influencers obviously they're, they're very hard to track. So they give people basically codes to track it. So they're giving they're giving everyone ten percent off their, you know, their whatever it is, their the tea that makes you shit or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. Uh they're doing that and they're giving people ten percent off. So they're losing a relatively high amount of money. Because the margin on that stuff isn't probably isn't huge. No, uh, I can't. In order imagine. to just track so that they know for the future, does it make sense to do this?
0: So so why do they still do it? I don't understand. If it doesn't work and it's losing money, why are people still doing it?
1: Well, because it does work. Like it's, it's again, it's the thing of if I can turn off half my advertising, but I just don't know which half. And it gives you the illusion that you do know. So you think you can't be wasting money and you can look at lots of lines on a, on a sheet and say, this line worked, this line didn't work, this line sort of worked, this line sort of worked, this line didn't work. Uh, but in reality, you're kind of like, actually though, this line had a halo effect. Right, and I see. There is also a genuine challenge here that everyone in the advertising line is working on the assumption that advertising works. So that is from the person selling the ad slots to the ad networks, to the uh, ad sellers, to the ad the agencies, to the heads of marketing at companies, to the marketing execs at companies, to the head of the company because they're reporting back to a board and being like, we launched an advertising campaign and it worked. Like right, Everyone in the chain is relying on the basis that advertising works. And the thing is, some advertising does work. Like, it's not a hard thing where you said if all advertising went, the pattern of consumer spending would be the same. Whether or not we're at an efficient level is a kind of a different argument. Like, really, what I, if Coke spent $10 billion on advertising, is it going to make you that much more likely to drink Coke? I don't know. I, I, I don't like, know. It's very, it's very hard to tell. But the problem is, is if Coke stop spending ten billion on advertising, then I'm trying to think of another soft drink that actually isn't sold by the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> um, Pepsi. Pepsi. Okay, right. But how Pepsi, did you those...
0: forget? Pepsi is the most.
1: Well, I went to like other soft drinks and I was like, fant- well, I was also Coke, uh, Sprite, also <laughs> Coke. <laughs> but yeah, so if you have, if you compare them to Pepsi, but they're like, well, Pepsi are going to spend ten billion. So the question is, okay, if Pepsi and Coke both stop spending their 10 billions a year on on advertising would their sales stay the same probably a good chance if coke stopped spending and pepsi didn't would coke lose out I maybe see. not immediately but maybe slowly it would and so they are spending to prevent future losses at which point the whole thing becomes like why are any of us doing this <laughs>
0: I I learned a little bit about this. So so in an effort to make Garbage Day sustainable and not have to, you know, shut it down, uh, I have been looking at ads myself uh, because I want to – I don't – I take the cheapest option for all subscription payments from Substack because I don't feel comfortable, like, charging an incredible amount of money for my newsletter. So I've been, like, talking to a few other, like, bigger newsletters about advertising in Garbage Day, and it's been going well, but I've had to learn how – metrics for ads work so like the difference between cpm versus cpa versus cpo which are all these like weird and they have like calculators online that can like help you like figure it out but if you don't know these terms uh cpm stands for cost per mile it seems to be like the major like metric cost that... per mil. what
1: cost per mil per mil yeah it's latin oh i thought it was cost per mile no it's m-i-double-l-e oh are you sure it's yeah it stands for 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 a thousand
0: so yeah, I know it stands for a thousand but I thought maybe yeah. it was just like okay like a thousand a mile it's like madman speak I don't know okay, so it's cost per mil so yeah anyways it means the amount of money you pay for a thousand people to see your ad uh and then there's the other one which is cost per acquisition which is like if you wanted people to like buy your thing or sign up for your thing that's how much you you charge per acquisitions and then cost per order which is I guess the amount you flat rate pay for the ad order i guess
1: uh so cost again this might be a slight difference with america but we used to use cost per order cpo and cpa sort of um interchangeably you know, yeah a little bit like cost per order would be like if someone starts the process cost for acquisition if someone ends it uh, so it might be if you're doing like a you know someone's signing up for insurance like if they get low, far enough down that they get a call from a salesperson person that's a cpa if they actually do the thing it's all the other way around then yeah
0: so i mean i didn't know any of this stuff before i started like looking into just like because i was just like how do i would you like to give me money to be included in my newsletter and then i had like a very simplistic idea of it and then you know i'm being asked questions about like you know what's like your click-through rate for a cpa versus and i was like I don't know. I've never thought about it. And it's really funny because like I thought the calculations would be really simple, but they're actually not that simple. They're like weirdly (laughs) convoluted. And I kept being like, why is this so needlessly confusing? And it's because no one can agree on how to quantify the success of an ad other than just like it's doing well or not.
1: Well, well, the thing is, they're also trying to do different things. Like if you're saying, you know, all I want to do is like if, if their goal is to, if you're a you're talking to a brand and their goal is to pick cool to your uh thousand most cool garbage readers and obviously they're all cool they're all cool that's right yeah um if 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 that's the case then all they want to do is make people see it so for that it makes kind of probable sense for it to be a cpm if they're like no no i actually need them to sign up and buy the t-shirt that says i am cool uh then that's going to be a different number. And it only makes sense for them to charge based on how much the t-shirt does or sorry, offer money based on how well the t-shirts do. Um, so there is, there are like, like different things to trying to get at. but equally they may be saying like, what we actually want is to do a CPC because we found out that you've got a really good. What's really a CPC? Bad, uh, CPC is cost per click. So it's the people who see the ad and then click.
0: on. Oh yeah. It. I don't mess with that. I don't, that's like Google AdSense. <laughs> I don't mess around with that
1: because nobody clicks. I mean, this is the thing
0: other than Instagram,
1: i don't know because you have a very trustworthy audience your audience trusts you like what you're actually what you're saying i should exploit their trust for money
0: yes (laughs) no (laughs) that is
1: that is broadly how advertising works like and i'm i'm pretty confident that you're not going to randomly start selling like uh the tea that makes you shit yourself the tea that makes you shit yourself or anthrax or whatever it might be (laughs) something (laughs) that is genuinely bad for yeah yeah you're not going to take something and and, and and flog it for kind of things it'll probably be brands that make sense for you make sense for your audience and that you kind of approve of so from that perspective like you're probably going to say it wouldn't make a huge amount of sense i suspect to talk to your audience and be like hey um i'm selling ford mustangs because they're probably not going to buy many ford mustangs hell yeah baby <laughs> but it might make sense if they're if you know some you know maybe there's a, another startup newsletter out there who's writing about uh, a the mcu every week it I'm might not, make sense for
0: but i don't want to advertise them because they're a
1: competitor fine but it, okay someone's selling <laughs> <this, laughs> someone's selling mcu no, i t-shirts. know i know what you mean well they that audience might be a bit closer to you so for that more valuable and therefore they can do a different
0: so i i have a question and the, to to sort of to sort of wrap things up here ads are bad and they don't make any sense how can we fix them
1: we can fix them by stopping tracking like by that, stopping is, that is stopping tracking yeah that is kind of it. Like ads, ads are always going to have to be exist. Like, if you want a free press, at some point you're going to need ads. Like, that is kind of how it works. And there, there are a couple, of, there are a couple of exceptions to that. Like, it is possible for niche things to exist. Um, I remember, you know, if you have a, a for example, a B two B publication that goes to only people who sell widgets, and it's called Widget Weekly, and there's ten thousand people, but all of those ten thousand people need to get this monthly magazine called Widget. Widget. It wouldn't be widgets weekly, widgets, widgets monthly. Terrible widgets monthly. monthly, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But they all need to get it, and so like, fine, okay, I'll pay the 120 pound a year subscription for widgets monthly, so that I am on the same page as everyone else who sells widgets. Now we all get this, and fine, it makes sense. And there are versions of like where you can have outlets that make sense for a niche audience. Um, I also think there's probably a wider scale argument, and it's uh, on subscriptions because I think people are willing to pay for it. The New York Times has proved that, and as has the Guardian, as has a bunch of other outlets like people are willing to pay for news which is good but advertising is probably always going to have a place on it the new york times still has ads the guardian still has ads right and it is one thing that helps outlets remain independent of governments is that they have their own sources of revenue now huh, that's an interesting direct,
0: that's an interesting thought there i hadn't thought about that well direct
1: audience revenue is better than that probably but it's also a bit potentially a bit limiting like if you are a website and discover that every time you write that uh, in the UK, that you write that the, you know, the Conservatives are great, loads of people subscribe and every time you write that the Conservatives suck you, loads of people unsubscribe, that's going to influence how your editorial judgement, like at a certain point that's got to affect you so there's a, there's a complicated balance that you're trying to strike between what, what brings me money and what enables me to establish the future, because equally you're eventually going to go down a rabbit hole of more and more people subscribe and then suddenly you're going to find out 10,000 people read you 10,000 people subscribe and everyone else hates you and you're you're in a bit a much worse position.
0: That's the dream. That's, that's the dream (laughs) is to monetize internet drama. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's funny to me because like growing up, like, like if I go to a website and I have my ad blocker turned off and you five minutes later were like, can you tell me one ad that you saw on that page? Like I'm fairly confident. My brain is just not going to process it. Like I've as a, as a deeply online millennial, I'm trained to like avoid ads at all costs. And yet, you sort of also need them. And And I went through this really weird experience, actually, where I had eliminated ads from pretty much my entire existence. I was only consuming TV via streaming platforms, and I had ad blockers on everything, and I, I don't use Instagram enough to really get targeted there. Sure. So I landed in America in 2019. I had been gone for four years, and I literally had no idea like where to buy clothes. Like I was like, what's cool in America now? (laughs) Because I had, I had, and then I was like, Oh, is this why? Like, is this how like Reddit men end up wearing the same pair of basketball shorts for like 10 years? And it was like, I had removed any form of getting information from like my diet. It was very strange. Um, I ended up using one of those like box services that sends you clothes and they all sucked. But like, you know, (laughs) which I found out via an ad in a podcast. So it's like, it's, it's very strange that we're in this age of like complete ad, complete ad saturation and yet the way we do them doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. Um, and yeah, what I would ideally say is that if we got rid of ad targeting, you would, then be, you would then be in a position where the quality of your audience would matter, not just the size of it. Uh, and that radically changes the calculus. Because for example... If you weren't able to effectively add target on Facebook, Facebook could not exist as a going concern. The reason that you're able to target people on Facebook is because you can be very accurate about interests and locations and all this sorts of stuff. Right. If you weren't able to do that and we're just saying, like, I don't know, I'd like to appear on Facebook somewhere, there would be essentially no point for the vast majority of companies advertising on
0: it. Right. Oh, interesting. So, like, the only thing that's really keeping Facebook useful at this scale is the ability... I hadn't really thought about that weird contradiction there where like facebook is at a scale that is actually kind of useless for advertising unless they can zero in on users
1: yeah exactly and and there's there's plenty of things they could do like if they scrap for example all sorts of interest targeting retargeting and all those bits and pieces and said okay we're only gonna target people on location age and gender like that would probably be doable like you can you can kind of get to a, a model that works there you know even if you're a a uh, local restaurant that's starting up. Yeah, fine. I'm going to target men, women in a mile around me, uh, between eighteen and thirty-five, uh, who have probably lower than that, probably twenty-five to forty-five ish disposable income, like restaurants, that sort of thing. You actually wouldn't need to necessarily target like foodies or whatever. Right, but you could make it work, and I think that's probably what, where you'd end up with it. But yeah, if you did scrap targeted advertising, it would it would it would radically change the value of every essentially every website overnight. So, so let's do it. Well, the EU tried, and then you all got really angry about like uh, the restrictions was putting on. and I'm pretty sure you joined a campaign at one point to stop it.
0: That's why I have to hit so many buttons when I visit European websites.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I say that I can't visit the LA Times. They still have not sorted it out. It's just impossible for me. Really? To the they LA still
0: Times. Have, so uh, if people don't know this, the LA Times was one of the, the it was probably the biggest publisher in America to just say we're not going to support the GDPR, which is the EU law that. Lucas referencing that uh heavily restricts the ability for platforms to target you with ads. The fact that they have not fixed that in like 2 years is incredible. 3 years
1: almost now. Yeah, it's it's quite deliberate. Um so yeah. No no this is the one I'm talking about is oh no we're talk about a different one. Uh oh, I can't remember there's been so many things. I think I'm talking, I mean article 13 when I say campaign but that's actually not doing this thing. Well, I
0: think we fixed it. I think we fixed uh we fi- did we I think we fixed the ad industry.
1: So actually, one quick thing is that back in 2015, I actually wrote an extended blog post about this on Medium. Which You
0: wrote a Medium blog post about the future of the ad industry and we're still yeah. friends?
1: Wow. And it, it stacks up. It stacks up. But I think the most interesting about it was I kind of got to the end and uh, basically said, look, the problem with all of these add things is that large websites can make sense because they have ad targeting small websites don't and when stuff starts going bad the niche stuff dies first Mm. and what's really interesting to me is that has kind of flipped
0: i think that is true the niche stuff can survive and the mid-level stuff can't can't
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: hey luke have you consumed any content this week to stay sane
1: going to ask that because you always ask that and because I, I do it to, every episode I, I yeah i know and i was just trying to think i had an idea for this like two days ago and i can't remember what it was now do you know that
0: um uh, listeners i edit out huge pauses from luke where he just goes <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know and he acts like this is the first time i've ever asked this question
1: you because I, I always think about it before it and then we have a conversation for now and it's totally gone out of my head
0: all right well i'll start i'm playing pokemon oh wait i have an incredible story about okay content. hit me so uh, our former coworkers, my friends, Josh and Tanner, they have a podcast called experience share, and it's one of the bigger Pokemon podcasts and they've invited me on this season and every season they pick a different Pokemon game and they play through it. And along the way, guests come on to like talk about their section of the journey and then they battle them. The game is called Pokemon heart gold. It's a re-release of Pokemon gold. It is extremely hard to find. And I searched around, found it on Amazon. There's also bootlegs and, like, counterfeits, so you have to be really careful. And I found it. Luke, how much money do you think this game
1: cost? Oh, no. Um, I'm going to say over $100. 250 American dollars. Jesus.
0: Okay. For, for, an, for a Nintendo DS game. So I bought the game, and when I when I opened it up, it was full of, like, very, very, very rare legendary Pokemon. And I was like, fuck. oh, I was like, fuck, I need these Pokemon. I pay for Pokemon Home. It's a cloud storage system for my Pokemon that allows me to move them across games. Sure, it, of course. Uh, of course I do. And so I was like, okay, I've got to get the Pokemon off of this Nintendo DS and into my Pokemon Home. So I looked up how to do it. It requires an intermediary game called Pokemon Black or Pokemon White, which are even rarer. Okay. I luckily. Managed to find a copy of Pokemon Black last weekend at a local hobby store. Guess how much money Pokemon Black cost?
1: I'm gonna double it. Five hundred dollars.
0: No, I I actually got a good deal on this one. It cost uh it cost a hundred dollars.
1: Okay.
0: Which, that's like a that's a steal. And then I
1: I mean depends on how you define that.
0: Well, then it took me like almost seven hours to get all the Pokemon from Pokemon Heart Gold to Pokemon Black, and then from Pokemon Black to Pokemon Home it took cool. so long because i guess pokemon pokemon heart gold has this thing where to trade pokemon with your another game you have to play a mini game where you shoot arrows at the pokemon and if you miss you don't trade them so like it took me so fucking long to get these pokemon off of this damn cartridge but oh and then worst of all when i opened up pokemon black which i bought the used copy had a bunch of rare pokemon on that one too Okay. But half of those Pokemon were counterfeit Pokemon that whoever owned that game before me had, like, gotten, like, glitched copies of those Pokemon, which cannot be transferred.
1: That is that is quite frustrating, given how much you spent on that.
0: I thought, I, well, no, I, I ended up with a good amount of legendaries, um, definitely ones that I never would have been able to get before, and... I'm uh, I'm having a good time playing Pokemon Heart Gold. Uh, I'm excited to talk about my experience, and I will probably retell this entire anecdote on that <laughs> on their podcast. But uh, I'm recording it with them next week, so it should be out sometime uh, next weekend. Uh, definitely check it out. Experience share, and um, yeah, trading Pokemon across different generations of devices is very annoying, but it was a very exciting Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon.
1: Okay, that is that is good bit of that is too much to spend on on that is more i think that might be more than I spent on video games in the last year and i played quite a lot of video games
0: i don't feel too bad about it i can put them on ebay bringing it back to our conversation earlier and i can sell them for quite a bit so I, i'm not going to lose that money um <laughs> but and, hey if anyone listening wants to buy these games for me let me know uh we can we could work something out but uh, yeah that that was my experience okay what content cool. did you consume to say did you did you come up with something yet
1: yeah i did so over the um I know. Some point last weekend, maybe I watched uh, the Chadwick Boseman film Twenty One Bridges. Ooh, how is it? Um, it's quite fun. It's an action movie that doesn't involve them attempting to find a magic box. Uh, and we talked about this in, in our last post. Post credit scene where you know there is a bit of a problem in some of these action movies where they are like you have to find the magic box and that solves everything or destroys everything or s- stops someone from the magic box. And it all revolves around something that's not a major part of the, the story. It's just yeah. a thing. It's a MacGuffin. Um, this one does not do that. It is a, a much more interesting plot. It's basically two uh, thieves, uh, one of whom is played by Taylor Kitsch somehow. Uh, they they break in to attempt to steal a small amount of cocaine, discover there's an awful lot of cocaine, and then Chadwick Boseman attempts to hunt them down uh, and shuts off all the bridges and tunnels in manhattan in order to do it. Shuts off the island of Manhattan in order to find these people so they don't can't leave Manhattan. How does he like, do that? Uh he asks the mayor and the mayor agrees. Interesting. It's a, it's a it's at one in the morning, so it's like Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, so it's like a ticking clock scenario.
1: Yeah, he's like it's at one in the morning and it's like you've got until five.
0: I love a good ticking clock. You know, yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan that's that sounds really good. Uh, that
1: was the Russo it is, brothers, wasn't it? It, uh, it was produced by the Russo brothers. Yeah, yeah, brothers. yeah. But yeah, it's a really good movie uh, that involves. It also involves Sienna Miller playing a New York City cop. Hmm. Hmm. She has a take on the accent. Oh, really? Yeah, they they kind of all do. There's there's actually the, the cast is surprisingly good uh, because they it also has J.K. Simmons in it. I love um, a good J.K. Simmons. Yeah, J.K. Simmons is the only one who just doesn't do an accent. Well yeah, like, well there is he's no like, I'm JK Simmons, I don't need to.
0: What year was this what year was this set in? There is no New York accent anymore. 2019. Yeah, there's no 2019 New York accent. It probably well, sounds like JK Simmons.
1: Chadwick Boseman does it but kind of gives it a hint and he's like balances it quite well and Sienna Miller goes full like Irish New York cop from the 1940s Why? and it is it is something to behold. To the extent that I uh, just attempted to find a clip of her speaking, uh, from the trailer, and she—I don't think she does because I don't think it could be taken seriously. Yeah, it is—it is, it is um, one of those things where, whenever she was on screen, it it radically changes like how you can interpret the movie. Because it's quite a good, it's quite a good movie. It's like a fun action movie, fun action thriller movie, uh, and yeah, Chuck Bosn was great in it uh and then for some reason this is british woman pretending to be a 1940s irish cop no apparent reason. <laughs> luke are you ready to talk
0: about fast and the furious oh, i'm so ready to talk about this movie okay if anyone listening would like to hear me and luke talk about fast and the furious the way we support this podcast without putting ads in it is uh a patreon yeah patreon.com slash the Content Minds. We put all of our show notes on there, and we also do a little movie club. It's called Post Post Credit Scene. It's a spinoff podcast. We are currently marathoning our way through the Fast and the Furious franchise. This week, we are talking about the Citizen Kane of the 21st century, Fast Five. It is uh, a truly, truly incredible film, and I feel like... This week's going to be good. We haven't recorded it yet. We literally record these in sequence, so we're about to go over there and record it. And by over there, I mean sit in the exact chairs that we're sitting in and maybe go for a bath (laughs) and break in between. Uh, But I think this week's going to be pretty good. So if you want to check that out, head over to the Content Minds Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Content Minds. And yeah, let's go do it. Let's go talk about Fast Five. Let's go talk about the bank vault scene.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.